welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by our new sponsor for the Oil & Gas Onshore podcast. A big shout out to Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of the oil and gas industry. Hey everyone, look, not only do you get awesome weekly content by listening, now you've got a chance to win some serious swag brought to you by Technip FMC. Each week, one lucky listener will win a bundle of gear, which includes everything I'm about to list. Seriously, everything. An audio duffel bag, a Yeti tumbler, an executive power bank power charger, a Columbia neck gator, and a set of Ace Pods 2.0, which are the true wireless Bluetooth earbuds. All you got to do is click the link in the show notes and enter your information to win. Simple. Now go get your swag on. All right. Well, welcome to this week's episode. We're here with Sarah Tamalarsen, CEO of SOTA OG. Sarah, how are you doing this busy Friday morning? I'm doing well. I'm glad it's Friday. Looking yeah. forward for, to a drink later. Yeah. What's your drink of choice? <laughs> I love champagne. Champagne. French 75. Okay. Well, now I know if we ever run across each other at a bar or at a restaurant, I know exactly what to order you. Good, good. Have you always been a champagne type of lady or what? Well, not always, but I used to be a huge wine drinker, blood okay. cabs. Ah. And then, you know, grew into champagne. And yeah, so now I mix them up. So I would imagine that you probably switched to champagne because it goes a lot better with breakfast. Yeah, it's a good early morning drink. It's an all-day <laughs> yeah. drink. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I love a good mimosa, so I think we would get along just fine. That's awesome. Well, hey, before we get going, I just want to mention something for the audience. And I want to highlight some fascinating technology provided by our sponsor, Technip FMC. Technip FMC's FrackNow system eliminates red zone intervention, delivering a more secure work environment that significantly reduces the chance of human error. They make the FrackPad safer, faster, and smarter by enabling visual validation from a distance. Their simplified ecosystem also promotes a healthier environment, reducing emissions through a 43% reduction in logistics. If you want to find out more, click the link in the show notes. And Sarah, actually something that we talked about right before we hit record is another sponsor of OGGNs, which is Anderson Hauser. So a big shout out to them. And Sarah, why don't you go ahead and, and describe the relationship? Because I didn't even know there was one. So how do you know them and how do they fit into the scope of what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Soto OG is we're a software application. So we actually grab real-time data from operations. That's what we do. Okay. And Anderson Hauser actually makes all of the fast hardware so we can oh. run predictive analytics on it. They very have good. some of the highest caliber. Yeah. So very reliable product, high caliber product. We have to associate ourselves with top tier providers because when we do a turnkey project where clients need it from soups to nuts, these are the partnerships that we actually bring to the table. So it's turnkey. Mm -hmm. It's easy for the consumer to consume the solution. Because at the end of the day, the solution is predictive in, in analytics, where you're looking at inefficiencies, you're optimizing for additional revenue, and you're chasing operating cash flow every day. So how do you maximize that? How do you make sure you make a little bit more? 
Right. Well, we certainly need to touch on that because I think everyone's interested to hear about it. But something I'm interested in too as well is just to get to know you a little bit. So we obviously, we had a phone conversation not too long ago to, to kind of introduce each other and, and to get a little bit more of, you know, what's going on. But why don't you tell the audience, like, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? And, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually grew up in the Middle East. I was born there. My family moved from India before I was born to make a living. From there, we actually migrated to Canada. Ah. I was, yeah, I was 16 when I got there. I went to University of Calgary, finished up last two years in high school. Ah, so you moved to Calgary? Yeah. Ah, yeah, okay, we, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm from Calgary originally, but anyway, keep going. Yeah, so Saudi Arabia to Calgary, and then my dad moved to Grand Rapids, Michigan. So as a family, we moved over, and that's where I got my first job at Marathon Oil. I graduated as as an electrical engineer, electrical and computer science engineer. I guess that would help. (laughs) Yeah. So was your dad in oil and gas or what did your dad do? So people think that. He was actually an accountant that ended up in technology and IT services. So he became an SAP deployment. He works in that space. Okay. So you and your family moved from Calgary to Michigan and I guess more curious, I'm curious about obviously moving from the Middle East and you said, you said you went from India to Calgary, right? Or No, my family had moved from India and I was born in Dubai, actually. I was born Ah, in Dubai. Okay. They moved to Saudi Arabia and then from Saudi Arabia, we moved to Calgary. Okay. So yeah. So my question, so then Saudi to Calgary, obviously a huge culture difference. How was it? Like, what were some of the challenges? What were some of the observations? I mean, what, what was that like going? Because, I mean, you, were, you said you were 16? Yeah. 16. Yeah. So, so you had already established, like, you know, certain values and a way of living and, you know, just the way people are. So tell us a little bit about that because I, I, I always think that's interesting. Yeah, so huge culture change. And, you know, as you know, Saudi Arabia is probably one of the most conservative countries in the Middle East. Mm. So you're not just talking about a conservative culture anymore. You're talking about a very extreme conservative. And it's mostly felt only if you're mostly by women. So my dad actually made a conscious decision to move us away from Saudi Arabia. And that's why we came to Calgary. But the culture is so different. And of course, my dad's dream was to give the daughters freedom and, you know, to go pursue their dreams and give them an opportunity to do that. He had two girls. So it was me and my younger sister. She was 12 when we moved over. So it was quite an adjustment for my entire family, for us. Of course, me and my sister adjusted much easier and quicker. We loved it. Yeah. We loved that women could do everything. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So my dad was like, okay, this is great, but please don't go out drinking. You know, he was more concerned. It was like, okay, like this is like two ends of the spectrum, right? Like at yeah. Saudi, you wouldn't have to worry about that. That's not a concern. And I still remember when I was early in University of Calgary, I would come home a little late and I would be like, dad, you've got to go to work in the morning. You don't have to wake up. He's like, I just can't help it. Like, you know, mm. I just, so those are all nuances that, you know, not everyone sees. Yeah, no, I can imagine. I mean, that's, you know, growing up there and, and living your whole entire lives there to then having this land of freedom. I mean, because as a parent, I can understand and identify with your dad as if, you know, we lived in a spot where my daughter grew up in, in a very conservative environment. If all of a sudden we moved somewhere and then she started going to college, which college already has, you know, a very interesting culture to it. And you know, a lot of people can grow up 
in high school and, 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 and be very conservative and live a very strict lifestyle. And then all of a sudden they go to college and it's like an animal out of the cage. And the next thing you know, they're, you know, just really enjoying what, you know, the college life. And so I could imagine as a father to, to a daughter that would pull on a few emotional strings and just be challenging. So, I mean, I, I can only imagine, but I'm sure you probably enjoyed it. You must've been just absolutely enthralled with, with the opportunities yeah. that you could just do whatever and everything be okay. <laughs> yeah. And you know, Canada is at the drinking age is 18 and you have beer gardens. Yeah. University of Calgary. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, you do. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, it sounds like you enjoyed it. So then you obviously then go, I'm assuming Calgary to Michigan wasn't quite as a culture shock as the previous move. But so from there, that's where you started with Marathon. And then was that was that was in Michigan you were with Marathon? Yes. So actually I graduated from Michigan and Marathon Petroleum had their headquarters in Ohio. So our opportunities in Michigan were mostly the car industry. And then, of course, I had an offer from Marathon Oil, Marathon Petroleum, sorry, the mm-hmm. downstream. Ah. And at that time, they were integrated. This was back in 2006. So, yeah, I joined. I took the offer because they paid a whole lot more than the car companies, mm-hmm. like Ford, Chrysler, etc. And I landed in Finley, Ohio. So I come to this little tiny town. Finley, Ohio, I think 200,000 people or no, 20,000 people. I'm not sure. Really small town. Yeah. A look and feel. And yeah, and I wanted to move to a bigger city again. So got transferred to Houston and I've been here since. Okay. And what year was that? That was in about 2008. I was back here. I was in Houston. Okay. So, a year later. so you obviously like, you like Houston enough. You, you, you plan on staying here for a long time or what? Like, I guess the question leading into that is, you know, now that you've been in North America for this long and you've got a company and things are going well, I mean, do you ever see yourself moving back to the Middle East or? I see myself being here. Yeah. Probably retiring in California. We'll see. California. <laughs> okay. Why is that? I know. By the beach. By the beach and mountains. Nice. That's important. California offers it all. Yeah. You know, just as long as you can pay for, you know, the cost of living obviously is high. And, and recently, I'm sure you've seen all the blackouts. So if, yeah, I know. I, I would be certainly not opposed to California. I think it has a lot to offer. But, you know, the way they, the electrical grid and, and all the challenges that they experience over there with electricity is, has been an interesting to see. Now, granted, it's manageable, but it presents a lot of opportunity for things like, you know, other forms of electricity to, you know, like storage. And there's a whole nother world and market that's happening be- behind all of that. Thinking about it now, like that would be such a neat place to go retire to have something just because the, the climate, the weather, I mean, obviously the beach, the mountains. I mean, I grew up in British Columbia and right. yeah, I miss that. You don't get that in Houston. So I'm with you on the retirement in California, such as long as you can, you know, afford to live there and, and enjoy all the benefits and yeah, all the power to you. I'm with you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a dream, right? You always have to have a dream of going somewhere. Hey, that that's it. So from Houston to California. But in the meantime, so you're going to be here. And before SOTA OG, you were at Carrizo for a little bit, right? Yeah, I was. And that's all a framework of how the company got started was. So at Marathon Oil, we had access to all kinds of technology. Like, okay. you know, we did all the hardware. We spent a lot of money. And I actually got to be part of major projects, which was where we did projects only 50 million and above. So it was fun. I was one of the youngest engineers there in that group. 
and I actually got to travel to Norway. I went to Aberdeen. I went to, I got to go to Africa, our EG project, and kind of see how we manage power. You know, because you need temporary power and all of that. You need automation was key. And it was so key to daily operations. It was interesting. And we actually built a lot of patchwork to get what we needed. Like, you know, the visualizations. We had a ton of consulting companies come in after we put the hardware in to get the data out and, you know, cleanse it and do all that. So then I went to Carrizo Oil and they were making 10,000 barrels a day at that time. And it was a great experience because I actually got to be part of ground zero, as we call it. And, you know, they didn't have much automation. They had very little. It failed them because, you know, it was easier for them. And I realized that at that time, here was a company that could afford everything, but they couldn't get it to work and get the benefits out of it. So it was just much easier to do it by hand. Like, you know, the field ops team was like, well, you know, that tank level sensor doesn't really work. So I'll just go hand gauge it. I'm like, I don't think that's the answer. I don't think that's how you resolve that problem. <laughs> He's like, well, we don't know how to make the level sensor work. So what do you propose there? Like we go spend another $5,000? I'm like, no, how about we get the right tank level there? That will just stay on there for five years, right? <laughs> and you don't ever have to replace it. <laughs> that's a better solution. <laughs> nice. That sounds like an easy solution to a simple problem. And you obviously got paid to do that while other people couldn't figure it out. So good for you. Well, they primarily hired me for facilities to help them with, but I just happened to have the automation background. So my boss always said he got that part for free. That was icing on the cake. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's exactly very cool. So then, so you obviously see a lot of inefficiencies to where then, you know, you, you worked alongside with whoever it was, engineers and stuff like that, did well. And then, you know, Soda OG, was it part of something like, were you trying to scratch your own itch or was an opportunity that came up? Tell us about the transition. Because yeah. I mean, going from Marathon to Carrizo, which is two, you know, relatively stable companies, you know, just looking at it from a work perspective, obviously the market's been in turmoils, but you know, that, you know, working for a publicly traded company offers a lot of security benefits you know, as opposed to then starting in a, your own company. So why do that? And why put the risk up? And, you know, what was the reason behind it all? Well, it was so much fun to make such a big difference at Carrizo from that ground level. So that's part of, I think, who I am. Like marathon was fun. I learned a lot. And then, you know, I wanted a challenge. So I went to Carrizo, got to, you know, solve that challenge. And then that's when I realized that there were a ton of smaller companies. And it's really fun to make a difference for the positive. And that's why we really started Soda OG was to say, hey, there are a ton of other smaller companies just like Carrizo in the United States, in the US. Why not solve this problem for them? And IoT tech stack had been evolving this whole time since I left Marathon. And Carrizo, I got to deploy a wireless tech, which is the first layer of the IoT piece. And it's so inexpensive. Like, it's so inexpensive. Like, what we spent millions to do at Carrizo, we did for hundreds of thousands. It was a tenth of the cost. So what if we bundled this entire tech 
in a box and brought that value to even smaller companies. Because the whole goal was to bring what technology we had access to at Marathon to the smaller companies to make them far more efficient every day. So that was our passion. That was our vision. We started in, yeah, 2017. And, you know, we've grown. We're still growing. It's really fun when I look back and to see the kind of companies we're in conversations with. And today we're actually talking. So before we were very focused on the smaller operators and small companies. Today we're talking to majors. And it's so shocking. It is so incredibly shocking when they come back and they say, you know, what do you like about your product? I'm like, what is it? They go, you got so many layers combined in one. I'm like, yeah, I think everyone should do that. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That seems like the obvious solution, right? Is to have multiple layers and (laughs) instead of just it being decentralized or, you know, in different sectors to have it all bundled up in one box. I mean, the more you can offer, which I would imagine creates complexity, which complexity creates challenges and sometimes inefficiencies. So how do you manage so many layers versus just really focusing on maybe one isolated piece of whatever it is that you're trying to solve or whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish? So, I mean, because that that would seem a little challenging to me. This whole part has is very challenging and you know but you have to have a vision that you start with and you have to be passionate about the vision and I think I see a lot of business owners like if you talk to them and I also run into a lot of startup founders and I'm always shocked when they say well you know all I want is an exit or all I want to do is make more money I mean we all do but if that's my goal that's not that exciting you don't right. have a big vision. Yes, of course, I want to make money. Like I said, I do want to retire. I like to have fun. All of that's true. Yeah. But our vision is that you make a difference in a company's operations through tech. So, yes, it's very complex what we've done. And it's very different and unique what we've done. And when companies see our product, they always say, oh, my gosh, we thought you just did one thing. We don't do just one thing. We actually optimize an asset, an operations piece from wellhead all the way to sales in a very intelligent way. And we try to predict and forecast what they're going to do tomorrow. So we're not competing on well optimization. We're not competing on truck ticketing. We're competing on a bigger piece of the business. We're, and we're optimizing their operations based on net operating cash flow. And that's something that varies every day. Like we were yeah. talking to the yeah. CFO office yesterday, a huge oil company. We were giving an example and we said, hey, our algorithms, we look at LOE buckets, for example. So we connect your production to revenue and we correlate that to LOE, which is your varying expenses. And it was so interesting. We said just 30 wells. We looked only at a bucket of 30 wells, right? It's so interesting. We saw that there's zero correlation for six buckets in LOE. And it amounted to 200000 a minimum of savings. Like they had highest production. They had lowest production. These six buckets had zero correlation to any of it. Wow. $1,000 at minimum to be had. Jeez. Hmm. Like you said, that's just a small sample size. That's just over 30 wells. And, you know, and there's so many other intangibles behind it. But 
the fact that operating cash flow changes every day. And it's so closely tied to your production. And how do you operate better tomorrow because of what you did today? And how do you maximize that tomorrow? So that's what our goal is to deliver. Along that, of course, there's several different layers. Yeah, no, that's really exciting. So I look at your website too, and I notice that you also provide services to markets outside of oil and gas, such as wind and solar and, and petrochemicals. Is that something that you guys, is it just a, an, an available service or are you guys actively working in other industries or what does that look like? We are having conversations in other verticals today. Like we are talking to utilities today, some of the largest utilities, because it's the same foundational problem. You have to make money every day and it's not constant and it's based on machines. It's based on this complex network of machines that you have to operate at an optimum level so you can make more money every day. So our goal is we take raw data from machines. So this is where meters, sensors, tank levels, etc. We analyze it, technical analysis is done because you have electrical engineering, petroleum engineering, all of the science is built in. And we uncover inefficiencies. Let's say you have a perfect operation. We're trying to optimize it based on net operating cash flow. So you do your best every day. That's our right. goal. Yeah. So I'm curious though, like, cause you obviously come from the electrical background through academia, but have been in oil and gas. Is there a lot of opportunity for a company like yourselves to move into say like the smart grid systems that cities run off of or potentially are trying to run off of to help with the supply and demand balance of electricity through? Is that a, something that you guys have considered or is that even a yeah, so we are thinking about that now that we are having conversations with utilities. So yes, so in the utility space, it transfers over to smart grids and everything else. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, and we're talking to, of course, pipelines. We're big in the pipeline groups now. And that opens up a huge market. It's gas, water, oil. And it opens up wastewater for cities. Yeah, so... The opportunities are endless because at the end of the day, it's business and, and trying to maximize profits. And if you can do that through technology, it doesn't really matter what you're working with. It could be applied to anything. You just have to kind of adapt to the business model, I would assume. Yes, but I love oil and gas. So we have a cloud group that does not have oil and gas background. Ah, so, you know, they're the ones that bring to the table the AI, the machine learning, productizing optimization routines across different assets, right? Because, and that's how we make money. We build it so anyone can use it and we can optimize the assets, right? So you're not spending millions of dollars on a consulting company to build just this. A lot of engineering is already built in for you. Gotcha. Yeah, they've learned to love oil and gas. They go, really, people do this? We're like, yeah, they're like, well, how did they do it before we came on? We're like, with pen and paper. And then we have a field ops manager. We love him. He's like, no, this is really how they do it. They're like, no way. <laughs> That's funny. So do you guys have an office or you guys, I mean, obviously right now everyone's kind of like working from home or whatever, but you guys have an office here in Houston then? Or? Yeah, we do. Okay. How many people or how, how many employees do you guys have? We're actually a team about 10. We're rapidly, rapidly expanding to about 20, but yeah, we do. We have a lot of contract and partnerships that we have as well. Cool. So we leverage them. 
So our internal core group is a group of 10, but we do have a huge network and the contract team goes up and down as well. So. Interesting. No, good for you. Well, you said you're growing and right now, if you're growing in a downturn, you guys will come out of this very strong. And so it's, it's exciting to hear what, you know, the potential. So you guys have done well, obviously you're growing. It sounds like things are, you know, going according to plan, but there's always challenges that a lot of people don't talk about. So I'm curious, what, what's been the biggest challenge, especially in today's market? So, you know, I look at it how on a macro perspective, you have challenges in the marketplace that your consumers are experiencing. I mean, those are headwinds that has nothing to do with us, right? Mm-hmm. As a business that they're experiencing. And then as your own business, you also have your own challenges, which are very unique to your business. So I'm assuming you're asking about my business. So. Yeah. <laughs> because that's interesting, right? So, you know, of course, because being a new company, of course, we always are challenged when we go, when we're bidding for jobs. No one's heard of us. They would prefer to buy from a brand name. So that's a big challenge. That So we always have to convince them. I have to go the extra mile. And, you know, we have to get them comfortable about the tech piece behind it. And, you know, like we sit on AWS, our application sits on AWS. And of course, our partners are Andres and Hauser. We always say, hey, if you want an end-to-end and this is how we make it work, you know, these are brand name products and this is who we work with. So there's a lot of heavy lifting that we have to do in actually establishing ourselves within and getting people comfortable with who you are. And so that's a little challenging. Then, of course, internally, I have some of the most intelligent people, right? So I'm not the smartest person in my team. Very, very intelligent people. So I get up in the morning. I'm so excited that all these smart people get up in the morning and decided that they're going to come work for me. (laughs) So it's fun getting, it's not fun some days, getting (laughs) getting 10 intelligent people to stick to the same highway and go to the same destination is not very easy. Right. So do you have to lay down the law and and remind them that they work for you and just to, maybe it's not meant for the podcast, but sometimes you just have to lay the law and say, I run the show. And if you're going to stay with us, you need to abide by these, (laughs) these guidelines. So are you, are you pretty, are you pretty strict? Like right now you seem, you know, fun and you're outgoing and you're easy to get along with. Are you like that as a boss or are you like the hammer and you just like drop the hammer on people? I can be both. Okay, good. And I think it's because of my culture. One of the feedback that I do get is I'm really nice. I'm very tolerant. So it's kind of like, you know, they say three strikes, you are out. The feedback I get is, so I don't, I, I haven't fired many people. But I also believe in giving. So, you know, I had a lot of second chances. I had a lot of people believe in me to get to where I am. So it didn't just happen. And it's not that I didn't make any mistakes. I wasn't like, you know, anyways. So I guess what I'm trying to say is sometimes people would prefer that I don't get angry one morning and I tell them, hey, remember, you really need to get your act together. They're like, oh, I really didn't know that I was so off. I was like, but I've been trying to tell you all along. And they go, oh, now we don't. But I think maybe I'm too soft when I give them early warnings. But now I commit to my employees. I'm not out to fire anybody. Yeah, no. No, I want them to work together. 
But yes, sometimes I do get frustrated. So their punishment typically is they have to work with me on weekends if they don't get their job done. So. <laughs> that's, that's not that harsh of a punishment. Yeah, that's not that harsh. Yeah, but you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, as a leader and people do look up to the CEO and the president and, and the leaders of the company for guidance. And oftentimes, you know, leading people and especially leading a team is very challenging. And so, you know, if you recognize things about yourself and your managerial skills or your leadership skills that, you know, that whether they're right or wrong or indifferent, but if you can be, you know, self-aware and, and understand maybe where there's room for improvement, then, then that's, a, that's the best thing, right? And it's, it's, and not having an ego to where if someone says, well, you, if you would have told me this, then and for you to look and say, you know what? Yeah, there's a learning experience from this and, and we both grow and learn and we move on and hopefully, you know, things get better. So it's, you know, and especially as a small company, because you, you become family, right? And it's, I think every company has a family dynamic, but the smaller you are, the more you deal with that person, those people every single day, like you said, weekends, evenings, middle of the night, sometimes if you have to, you know, you're married to your group, essentially, (laughs) for a lack of better words. And so it's getting along and really just understanding, you know, the social dynamics amongst the group is fun, right? Like it can get interesting. (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, fun's a good word. Yeah, I mean, no, (laughs) but I've enjoyed all of this and we love our customers. Yeah. And I always tell my team, I love the difficult customers too, because yeah. one time I think a customer was, I mean, they're making the wrong decision. They're, you know, and you know how that goes, vendor-customer relationship. And my team was like, why do you care? Why are you trying to convince them to do the right thing? They clearly don't see it. They, but, you know, we just care so much. And it doesn't matter if you're a great customer, if you're, having a bad day. Everyone has bad days. Everyone has great days. So yeah, managing all of those dynamics. So similar foundation. Right. Well, it sounds like you're doing pretty good. So what would you say the future looks like for Soda OG? I mean, you've kind of touched on it, but you said you always have to have a vision and a goal. So what does the crystal ball look like in 10 years? What does that look like for you guys? So in 10 years, hopefully we added a lot of value in oil and gas space because, you know, we love this industry. We've done so much work there. Mm -hmm. We know how to optimize and how to predict their operations really well. So, of course, we're hoping to be a name brand leader and add a lot of value in this space. Outside of that, of course, we want to uh, go on to other verticals like midstream and pipelines. And I think it would be really, really exciting for us to add value to cities. And you see a lot of small cities, small rural cities, municipals, that really need this tap to make a difference in that community. And it's so affordable. See, the IoT backend tech stack has made this whole thing so affordable. You no longer have to be a huge Fortune 500 company to afford this. And Amazon, Google, those companies have gone before us like two-day delivery, who would have thought you could afford that for 100 bucks a year? But everybody can now. Yeah, no, it's, it's so true. And I think a lot of people just aren't aware of it and they're, they're kind of scared and they just, they, they have this preconceived notion of like tech equaling big dollars and not everyone, it's not accessible for everybody. 
but you know, I think just through conversation and telling the story will just certainly help and doing things like what we're doing. So, but no, it's, it's very interesting. And so we're getting down to coming to the end here, but I do want to ask, I like to end the podcast with a few personal questions, but not too personal, but just fun questions, you know, especially as a CEO, you're busy, you're constantly focused on work, you know, maybe family and friends and stuff like that. But do you have any daily habits or routines that contribute to your success and not work habits, but more personal habits? Like some people wake up and, you know, they may stretch or they may have, you know, a certain drink or they may, you know, do yoga before bed. Do you have any routines like that, that you commit to every day that kind of keep you on track? Yes. Before COVID, I used to do a lot of weightlifting. Okay. So I did that. I enjoy that. And, you know, maybe I'm like addicted to this whole challenge thing. And, you know, it makes you feel so much stronger. Yeah. And if you actually take about an hour, and then I take about an hour every day, first thing in the morning, jot out what the top priorities for the day are. I like to plan it out. So I at least feel that I've accomplished X, Y, and Z before. Yeah. Because, you know, there's so much chaos in the day. Once, once it's 8 a.m., especially between 9 to 3, there's a lot of, and you've got to plan for it. I just like to plan for it. I know between nine and three, there's going to be unexpected interruptions. There's might be a customer that's super excited. There might be a customer that's not happy. There might be a customer that wants to sign. And these are all uncontrollable stuff. So how do you manage that? So, you know, I like to have a plan of what I'm going to accomplish for the day. Yeah. And if I have to work late, I work late to accomplish that. Some days I get off early. So, you know, just... So I like to do that plan. It makes me feel better. Yeah. Hey, if that works for you and you know it, then then you stick to it. Another question, and this will be the end of it, but what's something about you that not many people know about? And so any interesting hobbies or anything interesting, you know, stories about yourself that maybe even people you work with don't know about? Is there anything fun that you can deliver? Yes, I love spicy food. Okay, there you go. Such as what? It could be anything. I just love make like I love Thai food because they yeah. can make it as spicy as you want to. And then of course, I love hanging out with people. So I love girls night out. So you know, I guess it always goes back to the drinking and eating thing. I love <laughs> hanging out with friends. <laughs> good for you. You're, you like to socialize. That's good. So you must have been COVID and the quarantine thing must have been hard for you if you're a socializer. Yeah, but it's so weird that I'm very technical. I've got this huge technical geeky aspect to me. So one of the comments in the early days was field guys used to say, you don't seem like an engineer. I'm like, I don't know how engineers come and go, but okay. They always say, you are the best kind of engineer though, because you get, you make us work really hard and get stuff done. And they love that too, because they said on their side, it gave them a sense of accomplishment as well. That's so cool. Well, yeah, I can imagine it. I'm sure anyone out there that's listening would would certainly jump on board to work with someone like yourself. So I think you make a great CEO and I'm sure your company is just going to continue to flourish. So, but anyways, before we close out, I just want to take a few moments to tell everyone about some upcoming OGGN events. Hey everybody, it's Savannah from OGGN and here are the events on deck for October, 2020. The first five events I'm gonna list off are all online, so to start off the month, we've got the Women Offshore Conference, which is an online interactive event on October 2nd and October 9th. Second, we've got SparkCon, which stars our very own Mark LaCour as keynote speaker, and that one starts on October 5th and goes through the 9th. Third, we have the Oilcom Conference and Exposition from October 13th through the 15th. Fourth, we have the Ignite Talks with Cognite from October 27th through the 29th. 
And to close off the online events, we have the SPE, Annual Technical Conference and Exhibition, or ATCE, on the same dates as the Ignite Talks, which is October 27th through the 29th. Next, these two events for October are in person. First, we have the Energy API Golf Tournament on October 12th at the Kingwood Country Club. And next, we have the Energy API 30th Annual Sporting Clays Tournament on October 30th at the American Shooting Center. Lastly, and most importantly, we have our OGGN live streams. This month, we have three going out, so make sure to tune into those. First, we have Maintaining Critical Infrastructure During Lockdown on October 1st. Next, we have Material Reductions in Downtime that flow to the bottom line on October 15th. And last, we have Strategic Opportunities to Right-Sizing GNA and Achieving Free Cash Flow on October 29th. Now, these dates for the live stream shouldn't be changing, but they may, so make sure to keep up to date on these events by checking out the OGG on Facebook, LinkedIn, or website for more info. That should be all for October, so I hope you guys have a great month, and thank you for tuning in. Awesome. Thank you. And anyone out there in the Houston area interested in playing oil field hockey, come join the Hack and Whack crew for some old-timer hockey. We do it every two weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink. Hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. Sarah, thanks so much for joining me today. What's the best way for people to reach out to get to know more about you or your company or, or what you guys are up to? What's the best way? So they can definitely email me directly. Okay. I love hearing from new prospects. It's Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, at SotoOG.com. Of course, our website is SotoOG.com. We have a huge LinkedIn page. All of our employees are listed on there. Yeah, I see that. I'll put the link in the show notes. Yeah. Oh, we love hearing from you. There's so many different ways to connect with us. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure and put all those links in the show notes. And with that being said, do you have any closing last words, any words of wisdom, anything you'd like to share with the internet world? No, I've enjoyed being part of this podcast. And hey, if anyone's listening and you're running operations, we know it's taxing. We know you're doing the best. So, and be safe. Awesome. Thanks, Sarah. Well, everyone out there, always remember when the density is up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.